Listen to the best wrestling podcast in the world. Journey into Wrestling every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. The following, the following. The following. Journey into Comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to Poor360, the top, the show that covers topics of importance. As always, I am your host, and I thank you for joining me here on this 40th episode of the podcast. Now, I know a lot of you have been listening since the beginning, and the show kind of goes back and forth in what it covers. Usually it kind of covers mostly current events, topics of importance, and we've kind of Kind of wave that recently just because of the nature of the political world we've been living in, um, really since Poor360 has begun, and even back to when I first got into podcasting. But I know there's a lot of cast going on, and enough so that uh, even Fox News anchors are getting uh, fired for some of the stuff they're saying, which is sounds like the honest truth. So that is kind of the world we are living in. So, But I want to take a break from that today. I know I'm sure, like many of you out there, you're sick of all of this kind of chaos and negativity and everything that's going on in the world, I thought I would take us back to history. And I'm not just talking about a commercial for Frosted Mini Wheats that was about a kid preparing for tests, and they, um, it was like a quiz like, who sailed the ocean blue in 1492, and that was Christopher Columbus, which is uh, was yesterday, as you guys are listening to it. So for some of you who are in school or teachers or involved in like bank or whatever where everything there's probably a holiday you didn't have uh didn't have to go in today you got to kind of enjoy the day off yesterday but for the rest of us we kind of go there. but there's something i've noticed this year that i don't think i noticed as prominently last year even in the past years and that involves the the differences and the cultural shift from columbus day to um national in Indigenous Peoples Day, or maybe it's just Indigenous Peoples Day. Yes. So, it kind of gives the question like, okay, so I honestly don't know how long this other day's been around. I understand that uh, Christopher Columbus did some horrible things. He is still um, listed as the person who um, found the New World, or one of the earliest settlers in and discovered America, even though he thought it was India, all that, yeah, that whole thing. So I, I found this article I thought was worth sharing and kind of to dig in before we kind of dig into some of the, the wiki stuff on Columbus Day and National Indigenous People, or you want to say National, Indigenous Peoples Day. So let's kind of jump in. So where are we here? So yesterday is, um, yesterday in the nation's capital, there was no Columbus Day. The D.C. Council voted to replace it with Indigenous Peoples Day, a temporary move that it hopes to make permanent. Several other places across the United States have also made the switch in a growing movement to end the celebration of the Italian explorer in favor of honoring indigenous communities and their resiliency to face the resi- ah, sorry and the resiliency in the face of violence by European explorers like Christopher Columbus. Bailey Champagne is responsible for the change in our home state of Louisiana. The tribal citizen of the United Humo Nation petitioned the governor John Bell Edwards to change the day. He did it along with several other states this year. 
It's become a trend, Champagne said. It's about celebrating people instead of thinking about somebody who actually caused genocide on a population or tried to cause the genocide of an entire population. By bringing Indigenous Peoples Day, we're bringing awareness that we're not going to allow someone like that to be glorified into a hero because of the hurt that he caused to the Indigenous people of America. And so, in Huma, Louisiana, people from across the state will gather to honor and celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day for the first time. She wants to be a celebration to bring acknowledgement to the native population, Champagne said. You know, because how have, because we have many friends of all different races in the area, and Huma is named after the Huma people, the Huma uh, Choctaw. So to bring this, I think it's a long overdue. It's a big celebration, and we're just excited to have this finally. There's no comprehensive list of places that have switched, but at least 10 states now celebrate some version of, of Indigenous Peoples Day. On the second Monday in October, like Hawaii's Discoveries, Discoverer's Day, or South Dakota's Native Americans Day, Many college campuses have dumped Columbus Day for Indigenous Peoples Day, as have more than 100 cities, towns, and counties across the country. For Native Americans, Columbus Day has long been hurtful. It conjures the violent history of 500 years of colonial oppression at the hands of European explorers and those who'd settled here a history um, whose ramifications and wounds still run deep today. Today we understand that while Columbus was an explorer and is credited with being one of the first Europeans to arrive in the Americas, we now know a great deal about the history and the way that he and his people have behaved when they came to this continent, said Shannon Speed, a citizen of the Chickasaw Nation and the director of the UCLA American Indian Studies Center, which included pillaging, raping, and generally setting in motion genocide of the people who were already here. Is that something we want to celebrate? That's not something anyone wants to celebrate. The shift isn't happening without some pushback from many Italian-Americans. Columbus Day is their best. Is their day to celebrate Italian heritage and the contributions of Italian-Americans uh, to the United States. It was adopted at a time when Italians were vilified and faced religious and ethnic discrimination. The first commemoration came in 1892, a year after a mass lynching of 11 Italian-Americans by a mob in New Orleans. Italian-Americans latched onto the day as a way to mainstream and humanize themselves in the face of rampant discrimination. It became a national holiday in 1934 to honor a man who ironically never set foot in the United States. Columbus anchored in the Bahamas. I actually didn't know that. Uh, I probably learned it at one point in school, but I definitely, I really, prior to 1776, my, my knowledge of the Americas goes down a lot. So... For many Italian Americans, Columbus Day isn't just about a man, but about what the day represents, a people searching for safety and acceptance in their new home. In 2017, after someone vandalized the Christopher Columbus statue in New York City's Central Park, the then-president and chief operating officer at the National Italian American Foundation, John M. Viola, or Viola, depending on pronunciation, wrote in a New York Times editorial, The tearing down of history does not change that history. In the wake of the cultural conflict that had ripped us apart over those months, I wonder if we as a country can't find better ways to utilize our historic, our history to eradicate racism instead of inciting it. Can't the monuments and holidays born of our past be reimagined to represent new values for our future? Interesting point. He went on to write, We believe Christopher Columbus represents the values of discovery and risk that are at the heart of the American dream. And that is our job as the community must closely associate with his legacy to be at the forefront of a sensitive and engaging path forward toward a solution that considers all sides. Speed said she recognized the importance of celebrating the history and contributions of Italian-Americans, but there has to be another way to honor them. There are a lot of Italian-Americans who very much support the shift to Indigenous Peoples Day because they don't want to feel themselves associated with a man who is known to have committed terrible crimes against humanity, she said. 
Italian Americans were greatly discriminated against in this country, and it's incredibly important to have a day to celebrate that heritage. It just shouldn't be around the figure of Columbus. Celebrating Columbus, she said, not only whitewashes a violent history, but also discounts the further trauma that honoring him inflicts on indigenous people. Indigenous children are going to school and being forced to hear about and celebrate the person who set in motion the genocide of their people, Speed said. That's incredibly painful, it creates an ongoing harm, and so we can't have a national holiday that creates an ongoing harm for a significant portion of our citizens. For Native Americans, the pain is the first thing they feel when they hear Columbus Day, Speed said. When a group of Berkeley, California residents asked the city to change Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day in 1992, then-Mayor Lonnie Hancock said it was the first time she'd really understood the negative impact of this holiday on Indigenous people. We had to think about what is this holiday about and who discovered America and how really profoundly disrespectful it was to say that a European explorer who never actually set foot on the continent did that. Discounting the indigenous people who have lived there for centuries with very sophisticated cultures and pretty much in harmony with the earth. Indigenous peoples first proposed the day during a 1977 United Nations conference on discrimination against them. But it wasn't until 1989 that South Dakota became the first state to switch Columbus Day to Native Americans Day, celebrating it for the first time in 1990. And then Berkeley became the first U.S. city to switch to Indigenous Peoples Day. The Pew Research Center says Columbus Day is the most inconsistently observed national holiday in the United States. Interesting. Certainly the hundreds and thousands of Italian immigrants who came over in steerage class on the boats as the turn of the 19th century endured a lot of hardships to get here, Hancock said. The discovery of America is something where you want to get your history right. I think that to fully understand and take responsibility for who we are as a people in this land made it very important to be clear about who was here first and reflect on what happened in our history after that. In terms of the displacement and oftentimes genocide of those people, that might have reflected a general discounting of the history and the humanity of non-white people of many kinds in this country and take responsibility for our history. So that was, that was a very um, nice article, and I really enjoyed what they had to say. To not discount um, the importance of how the Europeans came to the Americas, but to respect for the people who have spent hundreds of years before um, any European settlers showed up and were kind of at peace, and it kind of seems a lot. And yeah, I I, I, get, I get it, but let's uh let's go back and let's dig into the the wiki of uh, of both of these days. We got got a, a rough idea from what we saw in that article, but let's kind of go into the wiki and get a little bit more background information. So, as we already know, Columbus Day is a national holiday in which countries in the Americas and elsewhere officially celebrate the anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the Americas. On October 12, 1492, uh, the Julian calendar, it would have been October 21st, 1492. Yeah, yes, I, whichever, the Julian report. Christopher Columbus was an Italian explorer who set sail across the Atlantic Ocean in search of a faster route to the Far East only to land at the New World. His first voyage to the New World on the Spanish ships Santa Maria, Nina, and La Pinta... I kind of remember having to learn the, was the, uh, I think it was like La Pinta, Nina, and Santa Maria, or something, however, there was like a little jingle to try and remember it. Uh, took approximately three months, Columbus and his crew arrived to the New World, initiated the Columbian Exchange, which introduced the transfer of plants, animals, culture, human population, and technology, but also invasive species, including communicable diseases between the New World and the Old. Yeah, that's, that's, sounds about right, um. The landing is celebrated as Columbus to the United States, but the name varies on the international spectrum in some Latin American countries. October 12th is known as Dia de la Raza, or Day of the Race. This is the case for Mexico, which inspired Jose 
Fons Cancello's book celebrating the day of the uh, Ibero-American race. Some countries, such as Spain, refer to the holiday as Dia de la Hispanidad and Fiesta Nacional de España, where it celebrates the religious festivity of La Virgen de Pilar. Uh, Peru celebrates since 2009 as the day of the original peoples and intercultural dialogue. So that's kind of nice. It kind of It's a blending of... I mean, there's a lot of negativity there, but it, this at least sounds like it's a nice blending of two worlds. Um, Belize and Uruguay celebrate as Dia de las Americas, the Day of the Americas. Since Argentina's former president, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, officially adopted Dia del Respecto a la Diversidad Cultural, a day of respect for cultural diversity. Also a nice one. A little long, but nice. November 3rd, 2010, uh... Gernata Nacional de Cristoforo Colombo or Fiesta Nacional de Cristoforo Colombo is the formal name of Italy's celebration as well as in Little Italy's around the world. Got it. Okay. So, the history of the United States Observance. So, a celebration of Christopher Columbus's voyage in the early United States is recorded as early as 1792. The Tammany, uh, the Tammany Society in New York City from became an annual tradition in the Massachusetts Historical Society in Boston celebrated the 300th anniversary of Columbus's landing in the New World. President Benjamin Harrison called upon the people of the United States to celebrate Columbus's landing in the New World on the 400th anniversary of the event. President Benjamin Harrison proclaimed it as a one-time national celebration in 1892. In the wake of, the, of a bloody New Orleans lynching that took the lives of 11 Italian immigrants, the proclamation was a part of a broader attempt to quiet outrage among Italian-Americans and resolved the diplomatic tensions between Italy and the United States that were a result of the murders. During the anniversary in 1892, teachers, preachers, poets, and politicians used rituals to teach ideals of patriotism. These rituals took themes such as citizenship, boundaries, the importance of loyalty to the nation, and the celebration of social progress. Many Italian-Americans observed Columbus Day as a celebration of their heritage and the first... Uh, the first such celebration was held in New York City on October 12, 1866. The day was the first enshrined as a legal holiday in the United States through the lobbying of Angelo Nossi, a first-generation Italian in Denver. The first statewide holiday was proclaimed by Colorado Governor Jesse F. McDonald in 1905 and was made a statutory holiday in 1907. In April of 1937, as a result of lobbying by the Knights of Columbus, and a new city Italian leader, uh, Generoso Pope, Congress President Franklin Delano Roosevelt proclaimed October 12th to be a federal holiday under the name Columbus Day. And actually, I am uh, a, uh, a fourth-degree Knight of Columbus. Um, not active anymore, but I uh, went through all my degrees in college. And yeah, so I am uh, I am one of the Knights of Columbus, which the, probably the majority of you know from the people who um, raise money for uh, people with special needs... And we'll give you uh, Tootsie Rolls um, in a, uh, exchange for any donations. So, yeah, that's that's what those people are. And I enjoyed being a part of it. I just, I don't have, um, since I moved, I haven't really found, or just really took the time to get involved with a, a local chapter here. So, yeah, maybe one day, because it is kind of neat with the uh, the full, like the tux and the sword and the hat and all that. It's pretty, pretty interesting, but I just haven't got to that point yet. So, since uh, 1971, the holiday has been attributed to the second Monday in October, coincidentally exactly the same day as Thanksgiving in neighboring Canada since 1957. It's generally observed nowadays by banks, the bond market, and the U.S. Postal Service, other federal agencies, most state government offices, many businesses, and most school districts. Some businesses and some stock exchanges remain open, and some states and municipalities observe, abstain from observing the holiday. 
The traditional date of the holiday also adjoins to the anniversary of the United States Navy, found on October 13, 1775, and thus both occasions are customarily observed by the Navy and the Marine Corps with either a 72 or 96 hour liberty period. That's exciting. Local observances of Columbus Day. So, this is what we have here. So, actual observances vary in different parts of the United States, ranging from large scale parades and events to complete non observance. Most states do not celebrate Columbus Day as an official state holiday. Some mark it as a day of observance or recognition. Most states that celebrate Columbus Day will close state services while others operate as normal. San Francisco claims the, nas the nation's oldest continuously existing celebration with the Italian-American community's annual Columbus Day Parade, which was established by Nicola Larco in 1868, while New York City boasts the largest with over 35,000 marchers and 1 million viewers. As in the mainland United States, Columbus Day is a legal holiday in the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico, the United States Virgin Islands, the day is celebrated as both Columbus Day and Puerto Rico Friendship Day. Virginia also celebrates two legal holidays on Columbus Day, Columbus Day and Yorktown Victory Day, which honors the final, the final victory at the Siege of Yorktown in the Revolutionary War. That's exciting. Um, the non-observance. So, the celebration of Columbus Day in the United States began to decline at the end of the 20th century, although many Italian-Americans and others continue to champion it. The states of Florida, Hawaii, Alaska, Vermont, South Dakota, New Mexico, Maine, Wisconsin, and parts of California, including, for example, Los Angeles County, do not recognize it and have each replaced with the celebration of Indigenous Peoples Day. In Hawaii, it's Discoverers Day. In South Dakota, it's Native Americans Day, like I, like I talked about in that last article. A lack of recognition or a reduced level of observance for Columbus Day is not always due to concerns about honoring Native Americans. For example, a community of predominantly Scandinavian descent may observe Leif Erikson Day instead, um, in the state of Oregon, Columbus Day is not an official holiday. Columbus Day is an official holiday in the state of Washington. Sorry about that, guys. Um, Iowa and Nevada do not celebrate Columbus Day as an official holiday, but the state's respective governors are authorized and requested by the statute to proclaim the day each year. Several states have removed the day as a paid holiday for state's government workers while still maintaining it either as a day of recognition or a legal holiday for other purposes including California and Texas. The practice of U.S. cities eschewing uh, Columbus Day to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day began in 1992 with Berkeley, California. The list of cities that have followed suit as of 2018 include Austin, Boise, Cincinnati, Denver, Los Angeles, Mankato, Minnesota, Portland, Oregon, San Francisco, Santa Fe, New Mexico, Seattle, St. Paul, Minnesota, Phoenix, Tacoma, and dozens of others. Columbus, Ohio has chosen to honor veterans instead of Christopher Columbus and remove Columbus Day as a city holiday. Interesting. Columbus, Ohio, not... Yeah. Various tribal governments in Oklahoma designate the day as Native Americans Day or name it after their own tribe. And I already talked about some of the Latin American observances. Um, so here we have um, a nice chunk about the opposition of the Columbus celebration. So opposition to Columbus Day dates back to at least the 19th century when anti-immigrant nativists... Uh, also known as the Know Nothing, sought to eliminate its celebration because of its association with immigrants for the Catholic countries of Ireland and Italy, and the American Catholic Fraternal Organization Knights of Columbus. Some anti-Catholics, notably including the Ku Klux Klan and the women of the Ku Klux Klan, opposed celebration of Columbus or monuments about him because they thought that it increased Catholic influence in the United States, which was largely a Protestant country. By far the more common opposition today, decreeing both Columbus and other European actions against the indigenous population of the Americas, did not need much traction until the latter half of the 20th century. The option was led by Native Americans and expanded upon by left-wing political parties. Those become more mainstream, surveys conducted in 2013 and 2015 found 26-30% of American adults not in favor of celebrating Columbus Day. There are many 
interrelated strains of criticism. One first primarily the treatment of the indigenous populations during the European colonization of the Americas, which followed Columbus's discovery. Some groups, such as the American Indian Movement, have argued that the ongoing actions and injustice against Native Americans are masked by Columbus' myths and celebrations. American anthropologist Jack Weatherford says that on Columbus Day, Americans celebrate the greatest wave of genocide of the American Indians known in history. <sighs> um, second train of criticism of Columbus Day focused on the character of Columbus himself. In time for the 2004 observe, observation of the day, the final volume of a compendium of Columbus-era documents was published by the University of California, Los Angeles' Medieval and Renaissance Center. It stated that Columbus, while a brilliant mariner, exploited and enslaved the indigenous population. Spelman College historian Howard Zinn shared some of the details about Columbus personally ordered the enslavement and mutilation of the native Arawak people in a bid to repay his investors. Journalist and media critic Norman Solomon reflects in Columbus Day, a clash of myth and history, that many people chose to hold on to the myths surrounding Columbus. He quotes from the logbook Columbia's initial description of the American Indians. They do not bear arms and do not know them, for I showed them a sword, they took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. They would make fine servants. With fifty men, we could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want. Solomon states that most important contemporary documentary evidence in the multi-volume history of the Indies by the Catholic priest Bartolomé de las Casas, who observed the, regime, or the region where Columbus was governor. In regards to the myth, Solomon quotes Las Casas, who described Spaniards driven by insatiable greed, killing terrorizes, afflicting, and torturing the native peoples. With the strangest and most varied new methods of cruelty, now systematic violence was aimed at preventing Indians from daring to think of themselves as human beings. The Spaniards, though, nothing of knifing American Indians by tens and twenties in the, of cutting slices of them to test the sharpness of their blades, wrote Las Casas. My eyes have been the, seeing these acts so foreign to human nature, and now I tremble as I write. In the summer of 1993, representatives from American Indian groups from all over the hemisphere met in Quito, Ecuador, the first intercontinental gathering of indigenous peoples in the Americas, to mobilize the 500th anniversary quincentennial celebration of Columbus Day planned for 1992. The following summer in Davis, California, more than 100 Native Americans gathered for a follow-up meeting to the Quinto Conference. They declared October 12, 1992 to be International Day of Solidarity with Indigenous Peoples. So that gives us kind of the background of Columbus Day. Now kind of how it spilled into Indigenous Peoples today. So like I said before... Um, it celebrates and honors Native Americans' people and commemorates their histories and cultures. It began as a counter-celebration held on the same day as the U.S. federal holiday of Columbus Day. Many now uh, reject celebrating him, saying that he represents the violent history of the colonization in the Western Hemisphere. Um, many activists believe the holiday is a sanitation or covering up of Christopher Columbus' actions, such as enslaving Native Americans. The holiday can be seen as a recognition of indigenous peoples who are oppressed by Christopher Columbus and other colonizers. Um, it began in 1989 in South Dakota, then it was instituted in Berkeley, California, and then in Santa Cruz, California, instituted the holiday, and it goes on and on. So, like, like we knew before, in 1977, the International Conference of Discrimination Against Indigenous People in the Americas, sponsored by the United Nations in Geneva, Switzerland, began to discuss replacing Columbus Day in the United States with a celebration known as Indigenous Peoples Day. Similarly, Native American groups staged a sort of protest in Boston instead of Thanksgiving, which had been celebrated there to mark collaboration between English colonists and Native Americans in the first years. In July 1990, at the first Continental Conference of five, on 500 Years of Indian Resistance in Quito, Ecuador, 
Representatives of indigenous people throughout the Americas agreed that they would mark 1992, the 500th anniversary of the first of the voyages of Christopher Columbus, as a year to promote continental unity and liberation. After the conference, attendees from Northern California organized protests against the Quincentennial Jubilee. They had been organized by the United States Congress up for the San Francisco Bay Area on Columbus Day in 1992. Those include replicas of Columbus's ships sailing under the Golden Gate Bridge and reenacting their discovery of America. The delegates formed the Barrier Indian Alliance and, to, in turn, the Resistance 500 Task Force. The most idea that Columbus' discovery inhabited lands and subsequent European colonization of these areas would result in the genocide of indigenous people by decisions of colonial and national governments. In 1992, the government, uh, the group convinced the City Council of Berkeley, California to declare October 12th as a day of solidarity with indigenous people. In 1992, the Year of Indigenous People. The city implemented related programs in schools, libraries, and museums. The city symbolically renamed Columbus Day as Indigenous Peoples Day beginning in 1992. To protest the historical conquest of North America by Europeans and to call attention to the losses suffered by the Native American peoples and their culture, the disease, warfare, massacre, and forced assimilation, Get Lost Again Columbus, an opera by the Native American composer White Cloud Wolfhawk, was produced that day. Berkeley celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day ever since. Beginning in 1993, Berkeley has also held an annual powwow and festival on Indigenous Peoples Day. In the year following Berkeley's actions, other local governments and institutions have either renamed or canceled Columbus Day. Either celebrate Native American history and cultures to avoid celebrating Columbus and the European colonization of the Americas, or due to raise controversy over the legacy of Columbus. Several other California cities, including Richmond, Santa Cruz, and Sebastopol? Now celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day and encourage people to donate to a neighboring tribe and recognize the trauma and pain Indigenous people have been subjected to by the colonizers. At least three states do not celebrate Columbus Day. Hawaii, Oregon, and South Dakota. Uh, South Dakota officially celebrates Native American Day. Um, various tribal governments don't Oklahoma designate the day as Native American Day or even name the day after their own tribes, like I said before. In 2013, the California State Legislature considered a bill, AB55, to formally replace Columbus Day with Native American Day, but did not pass it. On, October th- on August 30th, 2017, following similar affirmative votes in Oberlin, Ohio, followed later by Bangor, Maine, in the earliest weeks of the same month. Well, Los Angeles City Council voted in favor of replacing Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. On October 10th, 2019, just a few days before Columbus Day would be celebrated in Washington, D.C., the D.C. City Council voted to temporarily replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. The bill is led by Councilman uh, David Grosso and must undergo congressional approval to become permanent. So that's exciting. Um, hopefully you enjoyed that kind of uh, not-so-brief history of Columbus Day and Indigenous Peoples Day and um, why we celebrate both and kind of all that fun. And not fun. And the horrific genocide that... Uh, whole group of people faced and with that i think that'll wrap up the episode i will um just we're kind of talking about i will kind of end this um just because i don't want to get so far behind in this little thing i'll revisit the nation states like i've been doing for the past few weeks um we'll just do the quick issues see how the country changes and then get out of here so you guys can get on with the rest of your Tuesday and enjoy the rest of your week. I know I'm excited because um, tonight as you're listening to this um, date with Journey to Comics and I will be going to see Jay and Silent Bob Reboot which um, is the new Kevin Smith movie. Um, it's kind of a reboot of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and also poking fun at reboots in general. Uh, it was great because um, 
yesterday as you're listening to this, um, Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes uh, got to put their hands and feet in cement at the TCL Chinese Theater in uh, Hollywood, California to kind of join um, the likes of many famous people from the past and present. Um, so that was quite a thing. I got to watch that live uh, um, earlier in the day as I was uh, before I recorded. So that was that was really nice to be a part of. It'll be nice to kind of see. I've never seen a. I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. I've yet to see one of his films in theaters, so that'll be a nice change of pace for me. So um, definitely great, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that movie. I did watch Jane Silent Bob Strike Back in preparation, so I'm definitely excited to see the rest of this. So, um, and I think Nate and I are going to do a review on that on some podcast in the not too distant future. So stay tuned. But let's get back to the Principality of Portland and let's talk about some of these issues here. So the first one, uh, called Sit-Down Money. With traffic congestion on the roads of Portland City reaching unbearable density, labor unions are demanding that employees be paid overtime wages for the time spent in traffic jams. Uh, half mercy leader yells, League lover honking his car horn right under your window. I've been stuck in this damn traffic jam for so long, I've forgotten what my children look like. It's inhumane to spend four hours every day just trying to commute to work and back home. I deserve to be paid overtime wages to compensate for the stress I endure. What is this noise? Ash Secretary Roxanne Kuroshi crawling out from under her desk, still wrapped in her blanket. Tell these sobs that nobody has forced them to drive back home after work. People whose homes are far away from work should just be encouraged to sleep over at their offices and only go home once a week or so. That would help boost their company loyalty. Now, if you excuse me, I need to take a quick shower. The garden sprinklers are on, right? Uh, I'm not sure why it's government business, what our corporate pay structures are. Sir so Walrus' CEO, Alice Superman, whose commute involved a 15-minute private helicopter trip the labor unions always have on demand, of one on demand or another. But we can deal with these people with hardball negotiations, judicious hiring and firing, and filling out else water can. How about government stays out of it and let us resolve these pay disputes our own way? Uh, that doesn't make any sense, mutters your shy teenage nephew, almost inaudibly hiding his face behind his U-pad. Being physically present at your school or workplace is so outdated and unnecessary. If you ask me... Thanks to left development central, you should ban the commute and subsidize remote working. People can just attend class online or communicate with their colleagues via tripe. This will solve the traffic problem and also reduce the social anxiety that some people might feel in face-to-face interactions. Um, none of these are great. Um, first one, you shouldn't be paid for your commute. That's just ridiculous. Work somewhere else if you have problems with the commute. Um, you should not be forced to sleep at your job. That's ridiculous. Uh, I'm definitely, I think the teenage son kind of has the, or not son, the nephew kind of has the, makes the most sense. Don't really agree with it, but I think it's the best of the four options. So I'm going to accept that. Let's see what we get. Um, doctors are trying to diagnose diseases by looking at their patient's snip chat pictures. Fun. Uh, let's see. When did that help? Employment dropped, intelligence dropped, crime dropped. A few things dropped, nothing too crazy. Let's go back to the issues. Cheek to cheek. That sounds fun. While in Portland City Airport on your way to a major diplomatic summit, you observe a morally obese man arguing with customer service are being charged for two seats because simply cannot fit into one. Unfortunately, in the middle of the kerfuffle, he happened to notice you. Uh, I demand you weigh in on the matter of airline seats. Angrily states the plus-side man while waddling into your entourage. Here's some food for the thought. Studies have shown genetics pay an 
an oversized role in a person's weight. Disability law needs to be expanded to acknowledge this. I may have some love handles, but I'm still just one person. I should have to pay for two seats. Although Portland Indian Air is happy to accommodate all legitimate disabilities, states uh, Sabina Allen, a big shot Portland Indian Air executive, obviously simply doesn't fit the bill. People who can't squeeze into our seat should be should examine their life choices besides if Portlandian Air just gave complimentary seats to everyone who asked, our profits would fall faster than a plane in a stall. I have an idea, exclaimed Amanda Fredrickson, founder of Walking Big and Tall and Obesity Acceptance Groups. Why don't we just force airlines to make their seats a bit wider? That way everyone can fit in their seats and we won't have a problem. I mean, sure, there will be lost efficiency as less seats will be able to fit in the cabin, but that's the price we must pay for equality. Uh, number four, we should just we should charge by the kilograms. Just Dick McFly, who also happens to be a famous horse jockey. The weight of the plane ultimately determines whether it can take off and how much fuel it consumes. If I get charged for carrying excess baggage on board, it should be for the same for people. Oops, something fell over. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I'm kind of leaning more towards three or four. Um, obviously, if you physically can't fit in the seat, that's not great. Um, we should just make that a disability. We shouldn't uh, give out complimentary seats. I'm always a fan of wider seats. Um, even if you don't need it, just having that extra comfort. It does cut out on seating, which probably make the airline companies unhappy. Um, charging by weight also seems kind of ridiculous. Um, as a larger guy myself, um, it's not great. Um, I'm going to decide um, to make the seats a little bit bigger. Just a little bit, and let's see how this goes. Airline passenger seat sides and ticket prices are both first class. Okay. Um, okay, so let's see what happens now. Got three more. Let's see what we got. Crystal clear sinuses. Um, when methamphetamine on and in the minds of many Portlandians, law enforcement officials have suggested limiting access to meth precursor chemicals such as pseudoephedrine, a common is loose congestion sold in pharmacies across the country. Drugs are being taken advantage of, and what a darn shame it is, laments rural sheriff Billy Stromberg. If we're going to stop the methamphetamine meltdown, we need to restrict the sale of meth precursors. Doing so will stop the breaks on meth makers who require them in bulk to keep up their deadly production. Reasonable monthly limit requiring a valid prescription from a licensed doctor ain't a bad idea if y'all ask me. Seriously, I don't think I have enough to work to do without being hassled by junkies for prescriptions. Complain stressed-looking family doctor Ginny Caesar. Cough medicine decongestants don't do much more than honey and lemon or steam from a bowl of hot water anyway. Just make all these precursors illegal and crack down hard on recreational drug trade while you're at it. Number three, restricting pseudoephedrine sales only hurts responsible law-abiding citizens. Passionate exclaims Medical Rights Association spokesperson Leroy Hess. I'm no criminal, I just buy meds by the metric ton for my allergies, and a few extras is present for my similarly allergy-stricken friends. So it's from trust in Portland and to regulate these drugs. I mean, the whole making method at home thing is not easy as certain TV shows would have you believe. Complains your nephew rapidly finger-tapping a repeatedly patterned because of his drug-induced OCD. Why don't you just legalize methamphetamines and users can then buy crystal meth from proper suppliers who know what they're doing? Um... A reasonable supply limit and requiring. I think the first one is probably makes the most sense. Reasonable monthly limit requiring a valid prescription from a licensed doctor ain't a bad idea. Yeah, I think that's the one to go with. Issue already processed. Okay, cool. 
on, one lead leader can prevent forest fighters. So large forest fighters are raging across Portland. Tens of thousands of acres have already been burned. House and rural communities have been destroyed. And the resultant smoke has drifted into Portland City, ruining your plans to spend the day tanning. Don't tan. Pale man. That's what I am. Uh, didn't mean to make that rhyme. <laughs> it's been a long day. There's another example of public sector failure of Pine's former timber baron and current timber industry lobbyist, Jill Garrick. Put these forests back in our hands and we'll have these forests humming again in no time. With chainsaws, that is. We've got all this built-up fuel fast and you can say timber. You can even call us environmentalists because it's our own interest to plant new trees. And then cut them down again, of course. Uh, that's not cool, man, mutters Heech, the stoner comedy duo Heech and Hemp. These forests have evolved with fire for eons. The problem is, man, man, we need to stop managing forests. Just let the fires do their thing. Communities living in forest areas need to either move out or adapt to fire as for the smoke. He pauses and takes a long puff of something you can't quite see. Then after coughing much for a while, adds, We just need to adapt. No, cries former martial arts prodigy and current forest ranger Ned McKinnon, while bribing you with a picnic basket that was allegedly taken from a bear. We just need a bit more money, not just for fire suppression, but for preventative measures, like creating defensible spaces around homes, thinning out logs and small trees, prescribed fire, and arresting potential arsonists. Fires will be smaller and more manageable, and everyone will be happy. Seems really reasonable. All this hand-wringing about forest land management is so interesting. Sarcastic comments Tabitha the Steel, whose family lost their home to the fire. Oh wait, no, I don't care because my house burnt down. Thousands of people have lost their homes, and what are you doing about it? We need emergency help now. So like, all the money you're wasting on so-called land management, put it into something useful like disaster relief and rebuilding our homes and communities. Um, I think um, more forestation doesn't help. I think... Uh, money for fire suppression. Fires will be smaller and more manageable and everyone will be happy. I think that's the, the right one. As much as I feel for everyone else, that's, I think, the, the right choice. The phrase spreading like wildfire is no longer in the public lexicon. Portland civil rights fell from very good to good. Okay. That kind of sucks. Uh, let's see. I think we only have one more issue, maybe two. Just one more. Have war crimes will travel. Okay, a small disputed strip of land in your sphere of influence has been the state of civil war for decades. Portland has been approached by international community to hold the first round of peace talks. Unfortunately, Colonel Ida Moore, the self-styled revolutionary in charge of the popular freedom fighters with multiple warrants for war crimes against him, will have to be issued a safe conduct pass to attend the talks without fear of arrest. The popular freedom fighters are a disgusting group, yells Wayland Sullivan, a grief-stricken refugee. They killed my father, raised our village, and ruined my stamp collection. So you invite their jerk the leader into Portland, they then have your police arrest the monster. It's the only way justice can be served. We can't seriously be considering this, exclaims overworked diplomat Boutros Cage. We've been working for years to bring peace to this region. He may have blood on his hands, but so do the other 16 sides of this war. A sudden power vacuum will just prolong the hostilities. We have a real chance of securing a lasting peace here. Surely that's worth overlooking a couple of mass murders. This really is a bind, uses your trust advisor, Haley Hicks. If we arrest him on our soil, we will forever be known as a people who breach our safe conduct passes. We let him go. We will let a wanted war criminal slip through our fingers. The solution is plain. Refuse to hold the talks. I'm sure they can figure it out without us looking over their shoulder. We want the warlord gone, but don't want to look bad because of it. Whispers Agent Cobblepot from behind an oversized potted plant. Give this individual safe conduct. Let him do his thing. If some kind of terrible accident were to befall our dear friend, how would you possibly have known that the ceiling beam was going to fall on his head? <laughs> Uh, let's see. Hmm. 
I don't know. This is a tough one. Do we arrest him? Do we create a power vacuum? Refusal of the talks? Uh... I kind of... I don't know. I'm just going to go with number four and maybe he'll die cordially. So, peace talks occasionally rack up higher body counts in the wars they seek to top. Uh Uh-oh. That probably wasn't a good idea. Alright, that's it on the issues. Let's see how the land is stating now. So, uh, civil rights are good. Economy is very strong and political freedoms are very good. Okay. Let's see what we have to say here. Especially Portland is a very large, genial nation, renowned for its reverence towards religion. The compassionate, hard-working principality of 120 million Portlanders are either ruled by a sleek, efficient government or a conglomerate of multinational corporations. It's difficult to tell which. The tiny government juggles the competing demands of education, welfare, and healthcare. Citizens so play a flat income tax 7.6%. The very strong Portland economy, worth $9.2 trillion a year, is broadly diversified and led by the trout farming industry, which major contributions from gambling, beef-based agriculture, and tourism. Average income is $76,636. The significant disparity between incomes of the richest 10% of citizens earning 266199 per year, while the poor average 16089 a ratio of 16.5 to 1. Ellen sees tickets sees sees ticket prices are both first class. A lot of mouth breathes about these days. The phrase spending spreading like wildfires is no longer the public lexicon, and peace talks occasionally rack up a higher body count than the words they seek to stop. Crime is moderate with the police force struggling against a lack of funding and a high mortality rate. Well, actually animals, the parent, which source potentially through the nation's famously clear skies. So, that's kind of where we're at right now. Don't know what the, the rest of this is going to hold, but that's where we're at with our little country that exists on this show. But I think that will do it for Poor360 for this week. This has been episode 40. Uh, definitely stay tuned for more fun in the coming episodes. And if you have any thoughts, questions, feedback, please reach out to me through the socials. I will do a better job at posting these episodes so you can check them out. I'll use the full Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that. But definitely stay tuned for more fun in the future. Um, And I was thinking about this today as I was listening to Journey Comics. Um, Which you haven't listened to that yet, uh, Tyler does a great job um, detailing some of the stuff going on with uh, uh, the Joker and uh, how Martin Z feels about the Marvel films and so it's definitely definitely worth a listen there, but um, and Nate's always said this for a long time about hold the the pop your caps back and fill your brains uh, with shit. I'm gonna spin that and say uh, fill your brains with knowledge this time. And so sometimes you gotta fill it with the good stuff, and sometimes you gotta fill it with some uh, some knowledge there to kind of help you find the truth uh, where it's hard to find. So they'll do it for three sixty for this week. I am Andrew Porn. You guys have a great week. You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and many others.